Hello and welcome to Clappercast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, and today I'm happy to be joined by Paul Price. How are you doing, Paul? Uh, I mean, better. I got the COVID vaccine, Moderna, and I had it worse than I think anyone I've heard. Um, I hallucinated. I had like a sense of doom. I had panic attacks. I couldn't breathe. It was great. <laughs> he got mad at me for not liking a movie. <laughs> Which you know what? We will get into it. I still agree. You know we don't need uh, to get we don't need to get fully into it, but this week behind the scenes has been very chaotic. Originally it was just um, you know Paul, what? then it was just me and Alina. Then it, it was just a lot. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh blame the fact that people said, oh, Moderna isn't that bad. If you're getting huh? it, like turn off your phone, don't do anything for the rest of the day. It was it was the worst experience of my entire life. It was the worst day I've ever had. This is why like, I'm part of the Pfizer party. Die. Pfizer party, yeah. good shit. Moderna mayhem, not Listen, good. <laughs> in Ontario, we're probably not getting the vaccine until like August. So I don't know. I think I would it's rather gonna... take your position to be honest. <laughs> the funniest part is you'll get it in like September and we'll like be over it and like Oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah. such an old hat and you'll just be struggling alone. We'll be preparing <laughs> yeah. for our third one, like our updated one yeah. for next year. I know, that's what people were talking about. They're like, the boosters aren't supposed to be so bad. And I'm like, you told me the second one wasn't that bad. At least people on Twitter are like being honest and they're like, that was hell. That was the worst yeah. thing that's ever happened to me. I'm like, yeah, okay, my people. Well, on that note, we're also joined by Alina Falds. How are you doing, Alina? I'm good. I think it's like the fifth day of Ramadan now, so... I'm really, really thirsty, but I'm hanging in there. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's good. To, Not that's much. good to hear because we have a lot to cover today. We have three new releases we're talking about. We are talking about nobody. We're talking about Monday. We're talking about the other one. Paul, what's the other one called? Moffy? Is that what Moffy, the other one? Absolutely. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> we're also giving our final Oscar predictions. This is the final podcast before the Oscars, which is like genuinely quite crazy to think about because it feels like it's been fucking years uh but we're doing it we're here we're giving the predictions and first i like paul's idea we're gonna start off with some of the oscar predictions instead of having like an hour straight where we just like go through each category we're gonna split up a little bit and why not start where we talked about last week with the short films uh last week in case you missed it we talked about all 15 short films uh so let's go through them starting with Oh, love how they're not at the bottom of the list on this list. Uh, where are you? There we go. Best live action short film. We have Feeling Through, The Letter Room, The Present, Two Distant Strangers, and White Eye. Alina, what do you want to win? What do you think is going to win? Start us off. So this is the first year where I've actually watched any of the shorts. So I don't know like what makes people vote for them. So I don't know what is going to win but i really liked feeling through so i picked that one <laughs> paul what's your selection here okay so i'm gonna do okay so the betting market says that letter room wins but my heart says that two different strangers do distant strangers is probably going to be the one that wins it's flashy it's weird um my personal favorite though because of what we talked about the last episode, where it is like a jumping point, I think the people that did White Eye have a really cool cinematic like style that I would like to see them be able to like get money for. So if we're going to choose based on like the quality of the future of the candidate, it's that. Otherwise, none of them. 
Uh, I think for my prediction, I, it comes down to Two Distant Strangers or The Present, which just won a BAFTA award for Best Short. I'm going to give it to Two Distant Strangers. It has Netflix as a very clear message, even though if you break that down, like we talked about last week, it's not necessarily a great you know, film. Uh, but I don't think the Oscars really care about like quality. As far as like who I want to win, it's either Feeling Through or The Letter Room. I greatly appreciate both. I probably would also go Feeling Through. Um I, I think my prediction is going to be Two Distant Strangers. Next up for Best Animated Short Film, we have Burrow, Genius Loki, If Anything Happens, I Love You, Opera, and Yes People. I'll start us off here. I think it's a pretty clear race between Burrow and If Anything Happens, I Love You. You have a fun Disney short that's pretty basic and then a Netflix short that's very, very heavy. Um, we have been having like a new mass shooting every about six hours in America recently. So I think that does help the conversation of if anything happens, I love you. Plus it has Netflix. So I'm going to go with that as well as I think that's, I probably would prefer Burrow overall after our conversation last week, but I'm going to go with if anything happens, I love you. Uh, Alina, what's your take here? Yeah, Burrow is still my favorite out of these, this set, like we talked about last week. I just have such a weakness for cute little animated woodland creatures, so, um, but yeah, I agree that if anything happens, I love you, is probably going to win just purely for the message behind it. Paul? I would probably agree, but just to be contrarian, I'm going to say Burrow takes it, um, just because I think that, you know, even like the joke that Bill Maher made a couple weeks ago about everything so bleak I do think that you know there will be a contingent of people that go yeah um let's choose the not sad thing out of every single sad movie I've just watched um so I do think that has it going for it but I wouldn't be surprised at either of those perfect and then our last category for this little section is best documentary short film or short subject. I don't know actually what it's officially called on here. It says short subject. I always call it short film. We have Colette, a concerto is a conversation. Do not split hunger ward and a love song for Latasha. Paul, start us off here. What is your pick? What do you want to win? What do you think is going to win? I think I would like Colette to win. Um, I could see it winning, but I do think it goes to a love song for Latasha. I just think it, um, probably is the one that people would watch first and i don't think people watch every single one of these fair enough alina um i would like hunger ward to win because i just like the um i think the message behind that one is the most important to me um but it is like very long and very sad and like all of them are quite sad but i think that one's the saddest so i don't know I I can see a love song for Latasha winning as well. Yeah, my personal preference is a love song for Latasha. I am going to predict Hunger Ward. I just don't see how if they watch the shorts or even if they watch the select few, I think Hunger Hunger Ward has been getting a good amount of attention. I don't know really how you like vote against that. I don't know how you like see that pain and you're like, well, that's not worthy to award. Like it is devastating. So I I am going to go Hunger Ward, but I personal preference is a love song for Latasha. Um, On that note, let's transition over to our first feature review, then we'll jump back and forth with doing some more of these. Uh, Let's take a look at a film that debuted at the Venice Film Festival a few years ago. It's finally getting its release. Let's talk about Moffy. Would you like a drink or anything? No, I'm fine, thanks. Sure. You know where we're going. (laughs) Jelle, 
is rove. Sieve. En is ons werk. Ah. Jylle rove mans te probeer maak. Sieve. Sugar man. Met a false friend. On a lonely, dusty road. Mafi, which is a derogatory term for a gay man, follows the story of Nicholas Van Der Swart. From a very young age, he realizes he is different. Try as he may, though, he cannot live up to the macho image expected of him by his family, by his heritage, set during a South African border war against communism. This is a long overdue story about the emotional and physical suffering endured by a uh, young, by countless young men. Boy, Letterbox, please have like you have money. Hire an editor. Edit these to where like they're readable. Uh, Paul, why don't you start us off with this one? What were your thoughts on Mafi? I was kind of disappointed overall. I didn't dislike it at all, but um, I just felt like it alluded to a lot of things more than it. Uh, which I know, you know, in film, uh, show don't tell. But I just felt like there was a lot that just kind of was sitting on the outskirts of the movie. I think the main actor, Kai Luke Brummer, uh, I think he's great. I think you'll see him in a lot of things. But yeah, it was just, it was, and it was gorgeous, obviously. Uh, some of the cinematography is truly amazing. Um, I watched it on my iPad, so it's in a square format and it filled the entire screen and is like one of the like prettiest movies I've seen in a while, even when it's, completely drab in its uh locations and everything shot mainly in a uh army camp but um yeah it, overall it was just a little flat for me um I was a little disappointed what did you think um I had a feeling I wasn't gonna like this movie because I really just don't like soldier or like war movies in general um like modern ones and I still consider like 1980s to be quite modern um and when I was in university I took a class on the South African War which I had a really good time with um that was like the war from like 1899 to 1902 so like they're very like separate but a lot of the themes are still like present in all of South Africa um so as I was watching this movie like the guy the main character has like a Dutch last name but he's like English because the Dutch last name is from his stepdad and I wish that it had delved more into the like English and Dutch relations that are in South Africa because that's something that's like quite interesting and I didn't feel like I felt like that was very glossed over um and then the other thing is like this is set like in the middle of like apartheid and I think that was another thing that was like totally glossed over and that really really bothered me um like I feel like I have a really hard time being empathetic to people that like don't align with like my political ideologies. Cause like, I felt bad for the guy. It was like, oh, you're gay in the army. That's sad for you. But I also didn't like care enough because he's like a literal, like, I don't know, kind of a white supremacist, like most white Africans are. I don't know. I just like, the same thing happened when I was watching The Rider yesterday because like the guy in that is really sad that he can't like be in the rodeo anymore because he's injured. I'm like, why should I feel bad for you? The rodeo is like so mean to animals. Like, I don't care. Like it, I just, it, the movie just asks you to be empathetic for this guy and I just can't be. Queen of <laughs> empathy. <laughs> um, I'm actually pretty similar to you, Alina. I think I like a lot of what this movie tries to be on paper. Like I do appreciate the story, emotional story of a gay man in the army. 
Um, and where I don't like overall dislike this film, actual like very happy that this is a week on Clappercast. I genuinely do not hate a single film we're talking about. A little bit of spoilers, so like good on you this week, film industry. Um, I, I just couldn't really fully get into this one. We talked about Cherry. We talked about how the military genre doesn't necessarily do it for us all the time. I feel like this just became so disinterested in the actual gay experience and so much of this movie is just them at boot camp. Yeah, it sucks. Wow, people are yelling at you. Wow, there's a lot of yelling. Wow, they fucking lie to you that you're getting coffee and soup and they spilled it on the ground. It's not about like, yes, it is about a gay character in the army and it does touch on that and it does have pieces of that. But the narrative itself isn't like necessarily defined by that for a lot of the film. And then you're left with a military film and I really couldn't give two fucks about military films. It also doesn't help that like literally these are white supremacists. Like it is very hard for me to be like, wow, I feel so like, wow, look at these guys struggling when they're also like, oh, we're going to go and shoot any black person we see. Like it's really, it's not necessarily like, oh, I can get behind these characters. I think it was just a weird choice to have it set during this time. It's a weird perspective to capture and I just don't think the film overall does a great job capturing it like what it's trying to be it just gets very uninterested in its own story though I, like I do appreciate the film on a very basic level for trying to give a good queer story well and I think that's one of the problems overall is you know they set up that he's 16 so a lot of the stuff that you guys are talking about it's like he's 16 uh, I 100% agree with everyone above him but like I don't know what I would do at 16 if I was <laughs> put into this situation I don't like however though when they actually go to the war um I think that during the boot camp thing that's all it does get muddled in what you guys are talking about um because now it's he's involved in a way that the movie like you said just doesn't really want to talk about and so it has like one very emotional scene and then that's it. He seems to be upset by it, but we don't really see it. Um, and that's kind of how I felt with a lot of this movie was it it suggests that um, something bigger is happening without ever really showing it. Um, it's really interesting. It feels similar to um, I'm Beach Rats. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, it's the same director as uh, Never Sometimes... Never, right. rarely, sometimes, always. Never, never, rarely, sometimes, uh, always. Um, and that had, it's almost the same plot, just in a different location in terms of like the beats. Um, but I think that one was a lot stronger in showing this like person who's in a situation that he's uncomfortable with and everyone around him would judge him for coming out or anything like that. And then trying to figure out himself. Um, but yeah, this one, he just kind of, he's such a milk toast character that I never like got his emotionality outside of, oh, he's gay. Um, I, like, uh, you know, I watched an entire film with this person. It's an hour or uh, 104 minutes long. And at the end, I was like, uh, they have a long take shot on his face. And I was like, I really, not in a, like, I wonder what he's thinking. I was like, I have no clue what you're thinking right now. And I'm not sure I particularly care. Um, and I don't blame the actor at all. I think he was doing the best with what he had. But yeah, it was just, um, I think there was a definite screenplay issue. This also might be something that plays a lot different to an American audience versus a South African audience. Um, 
I don't know if like some things, you know, I was reading like uh, that everyone involved, either their parents or them younger were, you know, a part of this. So I'm sure like, you know, there is some <laughs> closeness and some uh, autobiographical aspects that we're not like 100% able to understand. Um, so it may be the same, you know, I saw an interview actually with uh, the star and he said that it kind of reminds him of the Vietnam War in terms of, you know, didn't matter if you gave a rat's ass about the army, you were in it and you were going to go fight people you, you know, may agree with. Um, but all of that aside, I don't know where the movie's coming from on a lot of this stuff. It feels like it just told us that it's happening and then just left us to decide and not in a way that I particularly um, feel is like clever. It just kind of like sits there. Yeah. I mean, I find it hard to argue against most of what you said. I, I don't know. I kept thinking during this, like, yes, I don't know a lot about the South African conflicts. So, like I have distance between this, but like, let's say this was about like a gay Nazi soldier. Like, sure. You can give the same plausible deniability. Like, sure. Maybe you're born into this. I can't really like, you know, it's hard to like judge you on your ideas if that's all you've been told since you were young. And that's just the mindset you were born with. But like, it doesn't excuse it fully. And just to like, use that and just kind of ignore it and be like well it doesn't really matter like it just rubs me the wrong way so hard and it sucks like I do agree the cinematography is stunning in this film I you know I'm a sucker for aspect ratios so that definitely helps but like beautiful film I just think the story itself is it was really hard for me to fully get into and swallow and accept and maybe it is just you know my perspective I can only give my perspective as an American who doesn't know a lot about this conflict but mm, didn't do it for me <laughs> Yeah, I think with this movie, it's, like, just very much a perspective issue, um, because, like, when I, like, again, like, I did South African War just 80 years before this, and, like, like I said, the themes continue, and I remember when I was taking that class, we used to just shit on the British people and the Dutch people, like, all the time, like, we always joke, like, oh, this is, like, one of the only wars, when, like, both sides are, like, bad guys, um, so, like, I just have a really negative view of white South Africans purely from that and then also I'm Canadian I'm a girl Canada doesn't really like fight wars like that in the 2010s I've never been in a position where I have to go against my morals so I don't like it's hard for me to be empathetic to like this guy because I've never been in that position so I can sit here judging him being like oh I would never do that you're an asshole like why would you go and like oppress black people like that but you never know what you're going to do when you're in that position um so like I fully get where the film is coming from and I it's fine it's a good movie I just and it's beautiful I just morally it just doesn't work for me and that's okay yeah no I totally agree and that's something that was like surprising to me because I was expecting it to be a lot more nuanced than it was. And maybe it was so nuanced that I didn't see any nuance, <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know. I was just, I was just expecting it to be more gay and that's really where it disappointed me, I guess. Though a lot, a lot of like hot men to be fair, you know, it wasn't like a bad thing to look at, but like, you know, not, not nearly gay enough. That was my review. Put that on Rotten Tomatoes. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to use that as a transition to Monday. Otherwise, <laughs> would have been would have been great though. Fantastic. 
with that, let's move on to some more Oscar nomination uh, predictions. Man, you don't realize how many categories the Oscars have until you sit down to really like talk about them. Uh, so let's just go up. Let's go through a few of these. Uh, best visual effects. We have Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenet, or as uh, Jack says it, Tenot, or whatever he says. Um, Alina, why don't you start us off with the best visual effects? Um, okay, so I've seen four of these. I haven't seen The Midnight Sky yet. Um, I don't know which one is going to win because, again, with all the like technical categories, I don't know, nor do I care that much. But I really liked the one and only Ivan. I thought all the animals in it looked like animals and were pretty like cute. But Love and Monsters, I watched that last night and it was very cool. And the monsters are very well done. And I really liked the design of them. So it would be cool if that one, like purely because of how unique it is. Right? Genuinely, Love and Monsters mm -hmm. was the biggest shock of last year. For me, not only did I just have fun with it, but like the CGI is so good. It would easily, mm -hmm. be, I think, be my like wanted uh, winner here. I think it's really hard to predict this one. Like you said, it, I, I'm going to go with Tenet, but I don't feel good about it. Like, I don't know, I, I could see literally any of these just like pulling a surprise when Mulan did a lot of other nominations. Midnight Sky is more like mature. It, it sucks. Like, I thought this was going to be an easy win for Mank. And now here we are. It's not even nominated. So what do I know? Um, I'm going to go Tenet. Paul, what are you thinking? I think that um, it could be Tenet, but I also think that the fact that people, you know, really are accusing uh, probably rightly of um, Nolan of sacrificing his movie and kind of killing theaters for a little bit uh, <laughs> really is going to stick there when it's movie people voting um, I think that that's why it you know I don't think it's a particularly good movie but it should have shown up in a lot more categories than it did um, I think um, I think it's going to be either between that or um, I guess one and only Ivan um, I still haven't seen Love and Monsters. Everyone keeps telling me it's great. But um, in terms of just like what seems to be the previous things, I could see it either being Tenet or Ivan. Awesome. Moving on to Best Costume Design. Your nominations are Emma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Paul, who's winning Best Costume Design? Who had the best costumes this year? Um. Gosh, uh, it's going to be Ma Rainey, so I don't know why we're... Uh, but I wish it was Mank. Um, I thought Ma Rainey's were very odd, and only Ma Rainey had good outfits. Yeah, I agree. I think my predict like wanted winner here would be Emma, but it's, I mean, it's going to be Ma Rainey. I also want it to be Emma, but I also like agree that... Although the Oscars really like period stuff, so... And like, especially like that time period, you know, like as I was watching Emma, I was like, holy shit, this is so fucking pretty. So I, don't, I feel like we'll be mad if it doesn't win. <laughs> well, can't, can't wait for you to be mad then. Uh, for best makeup and hairstyling, <laughs> it's Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. Uh, I can start us off here. I think this is, yeah, it's going to be Ma Rainey again. I could see potentially Hillbilly Elegy doing it. They do like when it's someone like gets a full transformation, but I'm going to go with Ma Rainey here also. Uh, Paul? Um, I'm going with Ma Rainey, but I think mine is uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Like, <laughs> it's very impressive. You watch that and you don't really see them in there. Um, 
you know, you hear them and you know that it's them, but it's like, uh, especially Glenn Close gets kind of lost in that makeup, which is really impressive. Oh, so you voted for Trump is what I'm hearing because you like a piece of that movie. Disgusting, Paul. I loved Hillbilly Elegy. Sorry. Wait, did you <laughs> actually like, use this it. as a meme? <laughs> no, no, I actually like did enjoy it. I'm, I'm from like a poor family. Um, like most of my family lives in like Arkansas and like, you know, like they talk about their teeth falling out and stuff. And I watched it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what my family's like. And it's so weird that people were like, that's not what poor people is like. I'm like, I know them. <laughs> that is that is the closest you're going to get to poor people. Uh, and they do sit around and they're like, oh, life would be better if da-da-da. And it's like, no, it would just be better if you like, you know, stop being around all these people. Um, yeah, no, I like Hellblood Elegy. Um, Coming from the man who hates Uncle Frank, this is disgusting. Though I also I didn't I didn't hate uh, Hillbilly Elegy. To be fair, well, um, and like I could I could do a whole essay on why I think that Hillbilly Elegy is the better thing for um, like showing off poor people versus giving them sainthood in Nomadland. But we'll skip that for right now. So, sounds like something we could publish as a feature on Clapper if you ever wrote for the website you're a part of. Alina, what's your prediction? Um, I feel like I agree with you guys both on Hillbilly OG and Maureen's Black Bottom. I think Maureen's going to win this one. Next up for best production design, we have The Father, Maureen's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. Uh, uh, Paul, you go first. Uh, I think it's going to be Mank, but I think it should be The Father. Um, not just because I love that movie, but in terms of like slowly changing things, and being noticeable enough without feeling uh, corny is truly impressive. Um, I, you know, I always feel like with these categories, even like looking at, you know, costuming and makeup, you always see like, uh, it's the flashiest and the most expensive thing versus like something that is actually like hard work. Um, and I feel like that's what this category is gonna be. I think you're just gonna get, oh, look, they did, Citizen Kane, how cool is that? Versus like, you know, something that's inventive. Lena? I was not paying attention. Can you repeat what you guys said and then cut this? Sorry, I just had an email about a customer yeah. issue at work. No, it's fine. <laughs> Paul thinks it's going to be Mank because they did Citizen Kane, but he wants yeah, it Yeah, well, what to... category is it? Oh, best, <laughs> production, <laughs> best production design. The Father Ma Rainey Mank News of the World Tenet. Okay. Ask me again and I'll redo. Alina? <laughs> Um, I think it should be Mank. I don't know. I kind of feel like that might be the only one that Mank wins. That's mean, but it's true. I don't know if it's mean. <laughs> You're not personally against the movie. I don't, I don't think. I don't know your personal life, I, I didn't guess. hate it. I thought it was boring, but like, it was nice to look at at least. Uh, I'm also going to predict Mank. I don't know. I, I like, I'm fine with Mank winning. I think News of the World is actually quite impressive. They built like multiple full towns for that movie. So like, you know, that's pretty cool. Um, but I think it's going to be Mank and I'm fine with that winning. The Father though would be a very inspired choice that I'd be very okay with. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen for... News of the World yet. Still, that's the one of the 10 I'm missing still. That's cool that they made whole ass towns. Yeah, they made whole ass towns yeah, I'm, I'm huh. interested in your thoughts on it. I don't know your thoughts on Westerns that much, but it, it, it surprised me. Okay. For best cinematography, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and Trial of Chicago 7. Uh, I'll start us off here. I think this is pretty clear cut. Nomadland should and will win this. I think even Paul, who fucking hates this movie more than I think anyone's ever hated any movie, 
Nomadland, like I think it's undeniable that it looks beautiful. So I'd I'd be I'd be very hard pressed to find anyone who disagrees with that statement. But Paul, you you go next. Try, you know, go ahead. Oh no, I think it will be Nomadland. Um, it's fine looking. Whatever. It's a documentary. Fuck off. Alina, please go before I scream. <laughs> Nomadland is very pretty, and Chloe knows how to make pretty movies, so it's gonna win best cinematography. And like, this is one of the most obvious categories. I really don't get why Trial of the Chicago Seven is in here. It doesn't make sense to me. Whatever. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have. I don't know why you're looking at me, Fran. I have no. I have no answers on that. It's not that well shot of a film, even. So, whatever. Uh, for best so- sound, we have Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. Uh, I will start again. I think this is quite obvious. It has sound in the name. It has a bunch of cool sound design. It's Sound of Metal. I mean, clearly, right? Elena, do you, do you it think it's different? It has to be Sound of Metal. It has to be. This is another category where I'll be very upset if it's not Sound of Metal. Because, like, why wouldn't it be? I don't know. The Oscars let us down a lot, Carson. So we might be in for some sad news come Sunday. Or next Sunday. I'm expecting it. <laughs> Paul? Um, yeah, it's the only one that I think uh, makes sense. Sound of Metal. That's it. I have nothing to say. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those categories. This year, there's a lot of those categories, though, so we'll get to them. Uh, Best original song, we have Fight For You by Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice from Trial of Chicago 7, Husevic from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, Scene from The Life Ahead, and Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Uh, Alina, you can start us off. What's your favorite song of these? Which one are you bopping to every day, you know? Super memorable songs here. Um, the only one I remember is the one from Eurovision Song Contest. So my vote is for that. I hope it wins. But like, I get the Oscars don't really like comedies, but maybe they'll let that go for a song because it's a fucking bop. Yeah, Paul. Uh, it should be Edgar's Prayer from Barb and Star. But since Lionsgate decided to sabotage their own film, um yeah i think it's going to be um speak now is that what it's called yeah one night night. miami uh i think they're gonna look and be like we have to give something to one night miami so that's what i think happens i could see speak now i could see husevic because especially i think they have the entire village coming to perform it in los angeles i'm pretty sure or they have someone performing something i think they're shooting it in that might Pacific. be it. The, the, like, I believe the village from. Yeah, the village is yeah. performing it wherever wherever they're doing it. Um, so I can see yeah. that it's also the only not song, only not end credit song here. I'm gonna go with scene. I feel like this is like Diane Warren. It's perfect for you to finally get your win here because it's like a shitty film no one watched and no one knows the song. So like, good for you, Diane Warren. Okay, best original score: Defy Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. Uh, Paul, who's winning? It's Soul. Alina. Um, I can't remember any of these, so I don't know. <laughs> I'll help. It's Soul. Yeah. <laughs> it's Soul. I mean, it is Soul. Yeah, so there's I'm, no way it's not Soul. So I'm going News of the World. No, it's going to be Soul. I mean, clearly this is going to be Soul. Uh, this is Souls to Lose. I'm not not worried about it, not thinking about it too much. And then to end this little bit, this Oscar prediction side, best film editing. We have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Alina, who's winning best film editing? 
Uh, I really want the father to win this, but I don't know what is going to win, but I don't think it'll be the father. Paul? Okay, so here's the thing. I don't think the sound of metal editing is particularly impressive. I think it's sound editing is impressive, and I think it's mixing is impressive, which is now best sound. Um, but I don't know if the average film Oscar voter knows the different. The editing category is always weird. Like my dad's an editor, so I feel like I like have a very strong connection to like great editing. And then I always look at the winner and I'm like, you don't even know what edit. It probably will be Sound of Music, but I wouldn't be surprised something like Trial. Uh, it could be really anything, but I think Sound of, uh, Sound of Metal is um, probably your best bet. But I want the father, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I want the father. I, I genuinely am not sure. You say that about Sound of Metal and I agree, but like it also just, I think clearly out of all these has the most editing which I think is something that the Academy sometimes likes to go for. Promising Young Woman, I think, was really in contention until it lost the Eddie to Palm Springs, of all things. I'm ruling mm -hmm. that out. Nomadland doesn't have a ton of editing. I think this is like, I think this is a very key category to kind of see how the night goes specifically for Nomadland. If Nomadland just sweeps, right? It, okay, it gets film editing. I can see it happening. I'm going to go Trial of Chicago 7. But also, if the father overperforms, I mean, we'll talk about this with Best Picture, but like, I genuinely could see any of these winning, which I like. I like that this is a category I don't know who's going to win, but I'm going to go with Trial. Yeah, it, uh, going back to, I forgot Nomadland was even, because, you know, the most boring movie I've ever seen got nominated for Best <laughs> Editing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that you... Uh, I don't see it being that she suddenly wins four Oscars in one night, but I don't know. It really is a question of did all of the Oscar voters watch everything? Because there is a scenario where they didn't because they're not going to fancy parties this year and they just vote across the board for like two films. And you could see like a sweep that's more embarrassing than like Parasites last year. And I like Parasite, but like <laughs> it, there was a point where you're like, is it really like the best for all these things or are we just giving it? Remember when Bohemian Rhapsody won? Alina. <laughs> why, Alina? Why would you bring that up? <laughs> why would you ruin my perfectly good day today? God damn it. Because it was so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, okay, on that note, we need to move on because I will just drop <laughs> from the call today and just never talk about the Oscars again. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Uh, let's go to our second feature film. I, you just cut out the Oscar part. You have a great transition here, I promise you, from the last film to this film. Let's talk about Monday. Hi, I'm Mickey. Hi. It was really nice to meet you. And thank you for not being an asshole. Try not to be an asshole. Yes. You don't have your keys, right? You want to go to an island? I go back to the States tomorrow. You're going to miss this, right? You're in love with this guy. <laughs> Go 
roomies. What's coming? Everything. Everything? <laughs> Chloe Gaines, you are the sexiest woman I know. You guys want to be Chloe's family? Yeah. In Monday, two self-destructive Americans living across Athens and the Greek islands plunge into a tsunami of a romance. Uh, Lena, what were your thoughts on Monday? I was hoping I would like this more than I did. I wanted to see this at TIFF, but I missed it. Um, so that was a bummer. So I just, I've been waiting for this for a while because I heard people liked it at TIFF. I didn't hear like high praises, but I heard people liked it. And I was like, okay, fine. Sebastian stands in it. What can go wrong? Concept wise, I really like it, but it just didn't work for me for some reason. And I think most of it is because both Sebastian Stan and whoever the girl is, I have no idea who she is. They just feel too old to be like doing stupid shit in Greece. Like Sebastian Stan is like a DJ and does cocaine. And Sebastian Stan is literally 38. And the girl looks older than that. She looks like she's in her 40s. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, you should not be doing this. It Like, it should be people who are like 20 year olds doing this. So like, also, like, she's a lawyer, and she, like, raw dog Sebastian Stan and moves in with him in Greece, like, even though she's, like, a lawyer in the U.S. I'm like, ma'am, you should not be doing this at 40. Like, the movie just doesn't make sense purely because of their age, and I think that bothered me so much, and I just had, like, a really hard time following the, like, time progression. Like, I get it. It's about the Friday highs of a relationship and the Monday lows, but then the movie just keeps going Friday, Friday, Friday. I'm like, what Friday is it? Is it Friday a week later? Is it Friday a month later? I don't know what's happening. Yeah, no, I kind of agree with you. Uh, I really liked this though, um, but I do agree with the same problems just to a lesser extent. Um, I think they are way too old. Uh, it, and specifically, I think it's even things with the choices of her outfits and her hairstyle just like makes her look like, like what you said, like, why are you here? But as a deconstruction of a, uh, what happens after a rom-com, I thought it was like really interesting. Uh, you know, it has a whole like run to the airport scene and that's the end of the movie, except it's not. Um, all of that kind of thing and seeing like, oh yeah, this is what happens in these movies, you know. Um, this is probably like how most of these rom-coms, the next scene goes. Um, and they do have like really messy lives. Um, but I didn't feel like the characters were really uh, fully uh, created. I also didn't feel like at the beginning, I felt the passion. Um, I feel like they maybe it was early on in the shoot they got like more like even the sex scenes like got better like felt more realistic as the movie progressed which you could say is like a, a you know a directorial choice or whatever but it more felt like they were just more comfortable with each other after the shoot um because in the beginning it was very like you know uh cold and this is supposed to be the passion part and later is supposed to be when it's like you know cold and distant and dealing with all the problems of life um i do think that the friday 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 thing was interesting but um yeah i, I also felt like there was a point where i was like okay which friday is this most of the time it made sense occasionally i would be a little off but carson curious about your opinions 
I'm so sad to hear you guys didn't like the Friday thing. I loved the Friday thing. Um, I think this movie is. Oh no, I liked it. I liked I, it. I, liked I just it. didn't know. Like, <laughs> I couldn't figure out time. Yeah, but it that's, doesn't matter. Like, yes, I don't it think does. No, because like I, how I, quickly did their relationship spiral? <laughs> well, I think I think that was my one problem was um, I thought it was continuous Fridays, and it was for a while. And I think that was my issue was like, suddenly it was like, and now it's six months later. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't catch that. And if they had been a little clearer on that, um, done a very obvious like change in their looks, then it would have, but I just caught it in the dialogue, like three fourths the way through that segment. I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's why we're doing all this. Um, Especially there's a scene where she goes and sees his ex. And I was like, didn't you just meet? <laughs> He's like having you negotiate with his ex-girlfriend. So continuing my opening thoughts, thank you for interrupting me, Paul, with the monologue. <laughs> um, I will say I did <laughs> I did really, um, I think this film is incredibly watchable. I love the world this film paints. I really like the performances individually whenever, whenever they're alone. Uh, obviously, so Sebastian Stan is good. He's also very hot, so that helps. But, but Denise Go, I've seen her a couple of things, but I've never like noticed her. I think she's really fantastic here. But together, I agree, they lack chemistry. It's kind of a weird comparison, but like recently I rewatched Twilight, first one very you know clear the first one and the chemistry between those two actors are like fucking undeniable and you could just cut the tension with a fucking knife at any scene in that film whenever they're together and feel it um monday you know they don't have that kind of chemistry it's very clear i think the biggest issue with the film though is just simply like it's very simple i enjoy the film i enjoy the world i watched it it's watchable but like it didn't leave me with any emotions. It, it, it was perfectly fine, but like, it's also incredibly simple. Uh, it kind of, to me, um, works as like a uh, other half to a movie like Blue Valentine. Um, that's really a mediation. Even um, the uh, Before series by Linklater. Um, any of those kind of movies where it's like a real meditation on relationships, I always like, kind of love so that's also um why I liked it uh but I feel like you know all of this is aside like the movie is aside from the fact why everyone's watching it which is you know the nudity um and no one has ever been more nude than the characters in these movies um and I thought it was like interesting because I'm not sure it was important to the film. Like, um, I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, sure, their nudity is needed for the movie. But there were certain points where I was like, this literally just feels like, well, now we're going to get Sebastian Stan naked so people will watch this. And, um, you know, you go through the letterbox and that's most of what people are talking about. Um, Or body shaming Sebastian Stan (laughs) online. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it was so interesting because especially towards the end of the movie, I was like, why are we still doing this much nudity? Like, it's not really adding anything to like the characters or what we're understanding of them. Um, and it got gratuitous in a way that like I wasn't enjoying. Um, it was just weird. Um, and I don't, usually care about that stuff but there was a point where I was like you know Sebastian Stan's standing there fully naked and I was like oh 
Okay, you feel very naked in this movie. I will say, Paul, with yeah. peace and love, you recommended both of this and happily for the podcast. And it just makes <laughs> me think you're really going through something in your personal life. So I want you to know, you know, we're here for you. <laughs> Alina, what were you going to say? I was going to say in response to the, like the nudity, this is not a good movie to watch during the holy month of Ramadan. And as I was watching this, I was like, thank God I have already broken my fast because like my eyes should not be witnessing all of this like Sebastian Stan butt and penis and titties right now. And I was like, oh my God. It was, I was, it was taking me out. I enjoyed it, but again, there was too much. I don't like, th there was a lot of it was not necessary, like Paul said, but the best part of this movie is when Sebastian Stan is in his underwear cutting onions with fucking scuba goggles. I don't know why he did that, but it's genius. And I liked it a lot. That was my favorite part. I will say, make <laughs> no mistake, this, I imagine it was purposeful this came out on National Horny Day. So like, you know, right. it adds up. Which is also my birthday. I think that's Oh, really that's funny. fun. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thanks, Sebastian Stan, for the gift. <laughs> oh, can I just say, though, with him cooking fucking pasta or whatever, him chop... There's two points in this that bothered me. Number one, him chopping onions was the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in my life. Horrible. Also, <laughs> when they're moving, who the genuine... Who the actual fuck puts a lamp with fucking light bulbs and doesn't take out the light bulbs or cover the light bulbs and just has it in a truck like that? No. I'll say those two things genuinely bothered me. I almost turned it off after the... Oh. Um, my, the part that really got me was when they were trying to figure out how to get the couch up Yeah, and they were like, we can't do it. Let's invite 60 people over instead. And I was like, well, then have them bring up the couch. Her poor couch. The one thing she invested money in the one thing she's like, I want this couch. He's just like, can't do it. Sorry. See, but that was what, that was really the moment that I was like, oh, I think I like this movie because that is the kind of shit that you do at the beginning of a relationship where you're like, oh yeah, this is so great. We're great together. Let me, you know, personally like act like all of the shit that you own and all of your things aren't that important anymore. And it was like, I was like, yeah, I've been there. But um, <laughs> the fact that they shipped that from the United States to Greece <laughs> only for that to happen to the couch, I was mad because it's a nice couch. I'm like, you could have sold it, could have donated it. What? You people are in your late 30s. <laughs> and like, that does go back. And I would be curious, like, if the original script like wanted them to be in their 30s or more likely they got Sebastian Stan and then worked the film around that. Um, because there are so many times where I'm like, this is like train spotting levels of like, we're dumb and young. And it's like, I get it's supposed to be like hedonism, but like, please guys, like, you know, go drink some water, take a break. Okay, yeah. and on that note, moving on to some more Oscar predictions. Yay! <laughs> uh, halfway there. We have Best Documentary Feature with the nominees being Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Paul, start us off. I haven't seen any of these. I don't care about any of these. Uh, the one that I was really like wanting to watch didn't get picked. That's Truffle Hunters. And so I guess Octopus Teacher, because uh, um, the people I don't like on Twitter hate Octopus Teacher. So probably will enjoy it. <laughs> Who doesn't like Octopus Teacher? What? I, I think Octopus um, Teacher is Among other win. people, David Ehrlich, 
Uh, really? Saying that it's like, yeah, he keeps saying it's like the evil Ehrlich or whatever. No relation. He keeps writing under everything. Uh, yeah, no, people hate it. They're like, this is the worst documentary I've ever seen. Um, of course, a guy would take a. It's nice. um... <laughs> not my pick. Uh, I whole... would, I would vote for the mole agent. But like, octopus teacher, sweet. It's good. It's it's fine. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole like conspiracy theory about how there's multiple octopi, and it's not really one octopus. And I was like, okay. Oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares? It was nice. I like underwater movie documentaries. It's fun. I want the mole agent twin. I really liked the uh, cute little old people doing cute little old people things. There is not a lot of plot to it, but I had a great time. It was yeah. really cute. And then I haven't seen Collective or Crib Camp. So like maybe those two are better, but like the mole agent, old people, I love it. Every time he picks up his little phone and he has to do anything on the phone, it is like golden. It is great. I know. <laughs> so good. I also yeah. thought it was cool how it kind of like blurred the line between like documentary and fiction. It was, it was cute. I liked it a lot. Yeah, no, I, f- I fully agree. I think that's a great film on Hulu if mm-hmm. you want to check it out, if listeners. Um, next up, the most, I would say, the most competitive category of the entire night. We have best animated feature film. Genuinely, who could win this? It's between Onward, Over the Moon, Ashan the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Um, I'm going to go soul pretty hot take. I know uh, I would like it to be onward, but I don't think it's going to be. I really like all of these. I think it is between wolf walkers and soul. I'm leaning more towards soul winning, but I would like it to be wolf walkers. But my favorite out of them was over the moon. I just really liked it. It was cute. Fucking rabbit in that. Oh my God. I'm still waiting for our plushes of it. Paul. My gut says it's going to be soul. But there is a part of me, again, that I think people are against overall, just like the Pixar consistent winning. And I could see Wolf Walkers pulling it off. But I also thought that with Klaus the other year, and it didn't. So um, ever since Spider-Verse, I've always been like, maybe we can finally take Pixar down a notch. But uh, it never seems to work. Um, But my personal is Shaun the Sheep movie, which is... A very enjoyable, very cute movie. I haven't seen uh, Over the Moon. Um, Side note with Over the Moon. I watched some clips of it for ACE or uh, Annie's. I don't know, with my dad. Um, And whatever clips they kept picking were probably the worst clips. Like I was watching this. I was like, Alina likes this. It's real bad. Um, But then I was like, yeah, it was just like every clip they were choosing was bad. Like weird and like overly vibrant so i don't know if people watch the full things but that is a worrying thing for that particular movie it's probably why it didn't do so well at the annies mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go wolf walkers let's do it wow paul if you get that right that's some good like street cred there uh moving on to best international feature film we have another day Better or another round, better days collective. The man who sold his skin and Quivardis Ida. Ada, I'm bad at pronouncing things. You should know this if you listen to this. Uh, Paul, who's um, winning? Uh, definitely another round is winning. Uh, but I personally dislike Quivardis Ada, um, because they regularly <laughs> send, uh, They've sent me like 70 emails about me trying to watch it. And I was like, I don't watch the foreign language movies. And I just keep getting, and I was like, before it was even nominated, they were like, watch this movie, watch this movie. Now it's been nominated. Please watch this movie. I was like, no. 
Um, so it's my arch nemesis of this one. <laughs> um, so as long as that doesn't win, I am happy. Um, but I could see that or I could see Collective um, winning, but I don't see how another round doesn't win. Um, but who knows? This is the Oscars. Yeah, I mean, with the director nomination, I think you're right about another round winning. But like, I don't know how, like, Quivardis Ida, like, trust me, is so fucking good. It's my pick here. It is like easily my pick here. Um, so good. I don't care. So good. Uh, Lena, what's your <laughs> prediction? Um, this is the category I've slacked on the most. I've only seen another round. So by default, I have to vote for that one. And also Max Nicholson. So you got it. That's fair enough. Yeah. That's good logic. Uh, for best, uh, yeah, best adapted screenplay, we have Borat subsequent movie film, uh, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. Paul, start us out here. Who's winning best adapted screenplay? Uh, I think it's The Father. Um, and not just because I want it to. Um, there's like this whole thing I've read about the Nomadland script being like 80 pages long or something like that and not really following script writing format and stuff like that um and I do feel like that is a thing that I just have heard through osmosis and I feel like other people will too um and I feel like they're going to want to give something to the father um so that's my pick um I also but again if no one's watched the father nomadland I could see One Night in Miami winning this, but I don't think I want it to because like a complaint I had with that is it still feels too stagey. Um, I would like the father to win, but like Paul said, how many people have watched it so far? So I don't know. I could see No Medline winning it too. I don't know. It's a hard, this one's a hard category. Yeah, this one for me comes down to Nomadland and The Father. I Even though I prefer Nomadland as a film, I want this to be The Father for sure. Um, I think, again, talking about, we'll talk about the S'mores Best Picture. This is like, Father, if he needs this to stay in the race for Best Picture and like continue to create a path towards Best Picture, uh, it's hard It's hard to go against Nomadland, but that film is more of a directorial effort than a screenplay effort. We've talked about this before. The screenplay is not the highlight of that film. So I'm also going to go with The Father, but I feel like that's wishful wishful thinking, and I feel like it's probably just going to be Nomadland, but like official prediction, The Father. And then our final category for this little bit, best original screenplay, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Alina, who do you think is winning best original screenplay? I want it to be Sound of Metal, but I think Trial of the Chicago 7 is going to win. Like, they have to give it something, and I don't think it's going to win best picture anymore. Remember at the beginning when everyone thought it was going to win best picture, and now it's like, no one's talking about it at all. Oh, I remember so. when Mank was going to win Best Picture, Alina. Oh, yeah. go way back. Paul, Dark who's days. winning? <laughs> well, <laughs> black and white, so quite literally. Um, I think this is almost definitely Promising Young Woman. I don't see how it loses, um, which is weird because that's the one part of the movie that I'm kind of dislike. The one part of the movie is when the people speak uh, <laughs> is what I don't like. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I just, it's again what Alina just said uh, with a different movie. I don't think it's uh, up there for best picture. And I think people are going to go, but we have to give something to Emerald Fennell. 
we can't give her best director. I guess we'll give her this, even though the writing's bad. Yeah, it's hot take. I think it's easily the worst writing out of this category. I think, quite frankly, quite easily, all of them, all the other options are better than Promising Young Woman. Um, Oh, disagree on that. Sound of Metal is the worst one. And and my boy, uh, Cyan France, worked on that. Um, Also, side note, do you ever think that he's like really pissed he gave that up? I think about him. Actually, all of my directors give up the movie that ends up being an Oscar movie. Uh, Nicole Holof Center did the same thing with Can You Ever Forgive Me? Like throws it away. Like someone else directed goes on to Oscars. Um, Sound of Metal, same thing. He's like, I'll work on this movie that, or this TV show that no one talked about it other than Ruffalo winning a bunch of awards for. <laughs> well, his, it's just, it's just very cat, funny yeah. to me that like, my like my people that I've been like supporting throw away the movie that would have made their career. Anyway, who cares? This is why I never want you to support me in anything. I want you to be against me, and then I'm gonna go. On I don't something good. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love the idea of someone like listening to this podcast, not knowing like we're friends, and just being like, "Wow, these people They're hate so each mean other." To <laughs> Happy first episode, someone. Uh, yeah, but I am officially gonna go. Promising young woman. Young woman. I said that horribly. Uh, does anyone else have any thoughts on this category? Well, with the lack of thoughts here, let's move on to the final film we're talking about today, Nobody. So they took maybe 20 bucks and an old watch? Mr. Madsen, did you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You okay? Because you don't look okay. There's a long dormant piece of me that so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here, old man? I'm gonna fuck you up. In Nobody, when two thieves break into a home one night, Hutch Manson's unknown long simmering rage is ignited and propels him on a brutal path that will uncover dark secrets he fought to leave behind. I'll start us off with this film. I went in expecting absolutely nothing of Nobody, and what I got was a pretty fine action film. Uh, I think everyone and their mothers when Godzilla and Kong came out said, oh, ignore the story, ignore the plot, ignore the characters. It's not that interesting, but you get this great action for the entire film. Yeah, that was bullshit. It's a horrible film. What you said about Godzilla versus Kong is what you need to apply to nobody. The story itself, not that interesting. The character, not that great. The acting is fine, but ultimately what this is is a really fun action film. It's from the same director of Hardcore Henry, um, which was basically a two-hour action sequence. I enjoy the action in that film. I enjoy the action here. It's funny. It's well done. Bob Odenkirk really does step up into this role that I didn't know he could fill. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not again, it's nothing special. I, for all the three feature films we're talking about today, nothing special but still, I mean, it accomplishes what it needs to. It's watchable and it's worth the watch, I think, in a relatively slow time in cinema. Alina, what were your thoughts on Nobody? It's really fun. I don't think it is worth the uh, $26.99 it costs to rent here in the um, forsaken land that is Canada. 
or more specifically Ontario, I guess, is the Forsaken Land. Um, but like, I had a really fun time with it. It was just fun. Bob Odenkirk is just fucking running around punching people. It's really fun. I the bus scene is fucking so good. The action in the bus scene is like some of the best shit I've seen in a really long time. The straw, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but the straw, yikes. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a good, solid action movie. That's, that's all you need it to be, and it succeeds at that, so. Paul, you can go next, but I just want to quickly jump in as a bus rider. No. Like, the first time I rode the bus after no. watching the sequence, I literally was like, oh, I just want to, you know, take that pole and beat and do stop requested a bunch. That was great. <laughs> Paul, what were your thoughts? Um, felt really interrupted there. Um, well, get used to it. I, Actually, you know what, Alina? I, I really just want to say I value you as a friend, and I'm happy <laughs> you're here today. <laughs> Thanks, King. Uh, um, so this script 100% was written before uh, John Wick. Like, there is no question about that. The same writer, and it's the same damn movie, like down to the Russians. Um, and it was so interesting to watch. And I was like, oh yeah, John Wick does have the better story. Like in terms of, uh, you know, like it, it really feels like he took this movie and was like, okay, let's rewrite it to give it a little more of a tragic beginning. And, um, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that the action was really good. Uh, I don't, I'm not sold on Bob Odenkirk. Um, I've not watched Breaking Bad. I refuse to watch long series about bad people. Um, and so I don't know um, him from either that or um, Better Call Saul. But I just wasn't in love with him as an actor. But overall, it does feel like the most dad movie I've ever seen, um, for better or worse. Um, like, there's no point in here where I was like, oh, this is for someone other than, like, you know, believes he'll do anything to save his family and you know um but the action sequences you guys are right are great um i wish there had been some more uh twists in it i felt like about a third of the way through the movie i knew the rest of the movie um oh and uh cannot state enough how boring the first act is um this was the first movie i saw in theaters um since you know the closures and i was so pumped it was double masked you know vaccinated ready to go um and i was so bored during that first act in theaters and i was like man this is a bad choice and then once it picks up once you get to that bus scene it like skyrockets but um you could have cut 20 minutes from that opening and maybe it's only 30 minutes but whatever amount of time it was way too long um it was like i get what you guys are trying to say his life sucks um and there's just like it's a very fun movie but there's so many corny like 90s uh shorthand like filmic shorthand uh one of my favorite examples was he and his wife are you know have their walls up so there's literally wall pillows between. The, I was like, oh my God. And then <laughs> after they've gotten together, she lifts one of the pillows away as though their walls are fall. Oh God. It really just was like so cringy. Um, 
but uh, actually going on the wife, um, Connie Nielsen, who I thought was great in this for a hugely thankless role. Um, there is one sequence though, that really like threw the movie for me. And I was confused for a while. Um, she's helping him out with something, uh, injuries and stuff. And she's talking to him like she understands his like secret backstory that you can guess he has from the title of the movie, you know, a uh, couple seconds into it. Um, and then that's never brought up again. And it was like, felt like a strand from a previous script that they like left in um, because the lines she says are pretty clear. That she knows he's like gotten into fights and things before. And then the rest of the movie, she has no clue. Um, so that was like a big thing for me that I was just, uh, you know, it, uh, in my like rating system, I try to do for Letterboxd, I like dropped a full like star for that. Cause I was like, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> what happened here? Yeah, it was kind of weird how it didn't feel like, like you couldn't tell how much she actually knew about his past. Um, I, yeah, I thought his character was interesting, but it is like basic. It feels like every action movie has to have like Russians or the mob or the mafia or something. And I'm like, can we get a new villain? I'm sure there's somebody out there that can be a new villain, right? It's just, it's always the Russians. The entire like backstory of like the events that happen in the initial break and that kind of leads to this whole story. Like there's a lot of weird choices. I felt, I felt like this was very just weird at times. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will say, Paul, I, I, I almost saw this in theaters. I didn't realize it was coming out on VOD so early or else I would have watched it in theaters. I do feel like we have this new period in stress of like, oh, what's my first you know theatrical experience back? It has to be good which is like the biggest stress for me right now. Cause like, I want to go back to theaters, but I don't want to fucking have it be like the courier. I don't want to be nobody or like Godzilla versus Kong. So I'm really at loss there. Um, but I, from a VOD experience, I had fun with this film at home still. I actually, um, my friend and I both saw our last movie together and our first movie. And it was really funny. The last one we saw was the way back. And Same. I was like, we're just going from dad movie to dad movie. <laughs> like It's just, Everything else that happened doesn't matter. It's two dad movies back to back. So Ontario has like always been going in and out of lockdown. So like when we first reopened, my first home back was the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. And it was not worth getting COVID for. I did not get COVID, not worth the risk of getting COVID. I can't remember what the last one I saw because like Ontario was just we're all we're fucking roller coaster. I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm getting harassed by like you can get harassed by cops now just for leaving your house. Well, I'm like I don't know what's happening in this fucking province anymore. But hopefully, when theaters are open again, there's a good movie to watch, and I hope it is Fast and Furious Nine for John Cena. I've not seen any of those, but. why are you trying to press me now you just reminded me that i have to watch all fucking nine of those i'm so not (laughs) excited for it because you have to do it with me person that's why i remind you i saw the the trailer and i was just like oh i don't i actively don't want to watch this movie cool it's gonna be really we can't let the clapper cast fans down no that's why i'm going to do this (laughs) but it's gonna be really funny for you guys to watch them because like the first two well specifically the first one is like kind of like a very like standard like drama-ish movie and then they slowly go off the rails and it's such a weird experience 
I binged them before the sixth one. And even like after the sixth one, they know what they're doing and it just continues that way. But the first like couple where they're trying to figure out the third one goes off into nowheresville that doesn't matter. It's so fun. I love that series. It's all bad and I've never watched one sober. Um, but uh, I do enjoy the stupidity of those movies. Um, I'm glad that that got pushed into the review for nobody. Um, speaking of sequels though, I don't know if you guys saw, but they are planning to do a crossover movie with John Wick. Um, Wait, really? The new conversation. That's yeah. Fine. Um, so it's supposed to be like nobody is like going to be directly against the nobody organization is directly against his organization and they'll like work together to take both of them down. I don't know. But uh, yeah, they were saying that technically they're supposed to be within the same world. And since it's the same writer, it just feels like a, a easy jump, okay. um, which I'm I'm fine with. Uh, I've only the seen only the first John Wick. Like... The third one's really So good. I was about to okay. I was about to say the only thing I don't like is the mythology created in the second and third John Wick, which are insane. Um, and I don't want that touching nobody because I every scene they try to explain what's going on with their stupid world. I'm like, I don't care about your coins and your <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see if they pull that in or if it's more realistic. I don't know if Not either of you saw the movie Unhinged that came out in theaters last summer. I really want to see Nobody versus Unhinged. I think that'd be a great pairing as like a villain versus a good guy. But like, I guess we're getting John Wick. But that sounds cool. I'm down for that. Um, I, Unhinged, but I, was I haven't thinking about it during this movie. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's huh, weirdly similar. This, pro- this probably would have also done well during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, this definitely felt like a movie they shouldn't have saved. I don't know when it was supposed to be originally released, but a couple of these movies I've been watching recently, I don't understand why they didn't release them when we would have watched literally anything. Um, and I think that'll be a question I continue to have the rest of this uh, next year um, as these new movies come out. Um, because, you know, if you look, what the only major releases were from Disney for the most part uh, and Tenet. Um, and I do think that like there was an opportunity to release a, something like nobody and would have done really well in VOD um, a lot earlier in the year, even more than it probably will do now. It'll probably do fine, but I don't think dads are ready to go to the movie theaters yet. I think it's mainly 20 year olds and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I just think this kind of year and like the past year with the releases and stuff, like nothing makes sense. Nothing's adding up. Why Warner Brothers released Tenet and Godzilla versus Kong when they did like it doesn't make sense. But, you know, go off, I guess. I was looking at my like rankings of the 2021 film so far and I was like, wow, we're late April. What a what a what a weird year as far as releases go. So I just kind of writing it all off and like hopefully 2022 is like a reset and we return to like cinema makes sense. Uh, so moving on from our very focused conversation of nobody, let's wrap up these Oscar predictions. Uh, for Best Supporting Actress, you have Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and y- Yoon Yoon Jung for Minari. Uh, Paul, who's winning? Um, I think it's the actress from Minari, but it's such a weird choice. I mean, fine, whatever. I just think like 
you have the wife who is literally carrying all the emotions of the entire movie and they're like let's give it to the grandma but if my choice again olivia coleman the father alina I do see the Minari grandma winning it because she's been getting a lot of hype lately. I think I said this during the Golden Globes episode, but I think it'd be hilarious if Maria Vasilova won. Uh, so like, I would like her to win just because it would be funny. Glenn Close, I really liked. She was the only good part of Hillbilly Elegy, but I also agree with Paul and I think it should be Olivia Coleman. Yeah, it should be Olivia Coleman, definitely. I'm gonna go the grandma from Minari. She's flying from Korea to Los Angeles in the middle of a pandemic to come out attend the award show. She's going to be taking home the trophy. For Best Supporting Actor, we have Sasha Baron Cohen for Child of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah. Alina, who are you picking out of these five? It's going to be Daniel Kaluuya. We all know it. Paul? Yeah, it, it is. Um, although I think Lakeith did a better job if we're going to choose specifically from that movie. I don't disagree, though. I wouldn't vote for Lakeith because he's not a supporting role. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, I mean, it's going to be Clue, yeah. They had right. this same amount of time. They're oh. both, if anything, they're both leads, but sure, like I if hear you, that argument. You look at the breakdown, I think it was 48 and 47% of the movie. Fair enough. Uh, for Best Director, we have Thomas Vintenberg for Another Round, David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for A Promising Young Woman. I mean, this has to be Zhao, right? Like, it's going to be Chloe? Yeah. Paul agrees. Yes. It'll be, it'll be Chloe. She'll be so happy. For Best Actors, we have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrew Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. My personal pick here would be Vanessa Kirby. I think she is fantastic, uh, but she's the one who I don't think has any chance to win. Other than that, man, what a shit show of a category to try and predict. Um, I mean, I genuinely could see it being Mulligan, McDormand, Day, or Davis. <sighs> I'm probably, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Davis. I don't feel good about it in any way. Yeah. This one feels like, it's like I told you guys the other day, it's going to be like down to like one or two votes. So I don't know if I like, I personally don't have any like skin in the game because whoever wins like knows they didn't really win. They like one by one vote. I don't, you know, I also can't care. Um, but let's go with, um, I think it's going to be, Mulligan? Yeah, I'm going to go Mulligan. Um, I think she's doing the game right. I think SNL was a big boost for her. Um, I think that she'll just, you know, she's had such a career that's like, she almost got it. Like she, this is to me a win for like an education more than for a promising young woman. I fully agree with Paul. Like as I was looking at this category, uh, I don't care that much about any of them any of them I could see winning except for Vanessa Kirby unfortunately because she was great especially in the first 30 minutes of Pieces of a Woman I think it's between Viola Davis and Carrie Mulligan but I think Carrie Mulligan's gonna win 
Cool. And then moving on to best actor, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, or Steven Yen for Minari. Alina, why don't you start us off with this five? I would like it to be either Anthony Hopkins or Riz Ahmed. Those would be the best for sure. Um, I don't know. I think we all thought that they were going to pick Chadwick Boseman because he unfortunately passed away. But I don't feel like that's the case anymore. I don't know. I hope it's Anthony Hopkins. I think it's going to be Chadwick Boseman but I'm not like 100% sure like it used to be. Paul, I know you're a big um, Hopkins supporter. Yeah, and I think he I think he pulls it off. Um, I think, I don't think, as much as I like Boswick's performance, I don't think it's so strong that it'll blow out Hopkins' best performance. And regardless of, and one of the things that's really frustrating about like film Twitter is you'll see people go, well, yeah, Hopkins has the best performance of anyone this year, but like we should give it to Bozeman. And I'm like, that's not what this award's for. <laughs> um, I I hope it's Hopkins. I think it's going to be Hopkins. I think that his people um, will, you know, the supporters of him will be stronger than we're expecting. Um, I don't think it'll be... Uh, too much of a surprise either. Um, he won the BAFTA, which I feel like is that tide turning uh, to what Alina said. Man, I thought I was going to be the only one with a hot take here today uh, with this category. I'm also going Hopkins. I think Bozeman, statistically, just looking at everything he's won, is an overwhelming favorite just on precursors alone. I do get the sense that the tide is turning for Hopkins. I think Bozeman has had his time of recognition. I just don't, I don't know if that's happening, but more than anything, I don't know if I can reasonably think like Ma Rainey Black Bottom is going to get that many wins. It didn't get screenplay, didn't get director, didn't get best picture. They don't love this film as much as I think people think they do. So it just comes down to like, I can't be predicting it for all those wins. Hopkins has momentum. I think everyone says like, oh, best performance. I don't think I've heard a single person say, oh, Bozeman had a better performance than Hopkins. I think he had a cool start of the year because the father didn't come out. It waited until the last minute. It waited on a lot of screeners for a lot of places. I'm going Hopkins. I don't feel good. I think like the safe prediction 100% is Bozeman. I'm going Hopkins, but also I want him to win. So, I mean, that helps in that prediction, I guess. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Moving on for best picture now, the big one. We have The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Paul, start us off. Are you predicting your favorite Nomadland? Yes. And, I mean, the only thing, here's the thing. I do kind of want it to win because it is statistically likely that when one of those best pictures wins, uh, immediately a backlash starts and I will be in front of it, burning down the nomad list, (laughs) you know, hierarchy. Uh, No, I uh, I think it comes down to the question that we keep having. Are people watching these movies? And I don't think we've thought about as a people, 
how much those damn parties matter until we can't have them. I think that, you know, there would have been a huge contingent of people who would have preferred Trial of Chicago 7 if you were going to all those screenings and then went and, you know, took shots with Sasha Baron Cohen and, you know, what you do with those parties. Um, I feel like uh, it also feels like one of those things where I don't even know if people are watching Nomadland or any of these. I feel like they're just going to go, I heard Nomadland was good. Uh, let's do it or watch 10 minutes of it, um, which is all I could really get through. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's Nomadland. Um, and then obviously what I would want to find, I'm going to go with a second choice in case Nomadland doesn't win because Nomadland is winning. But um, I would probably say it's like runner up the surprise one would be something like Promising Young Woman. I could see a lot of people putting it as their first, which really matters. And, you know, with this new ranking system, uh, that's what'll be interesting is uh, I don't know if, if Nomadland doesn't get it on that first round, if it can win. Because uh, I think that people will put it either first or like fifth. I don't think we're going to see like a, you know, um, second and third for Nomad Land situation. Alina? I think Nomad Land is going to win it. I don't really want it to win. Like, I like Nomad Land just fine. I think it's funny to hate on it because it's just fun to hate on things, but it's a fine movie. I'm not going to be upset when it wins, but I would prefer if it didn't. I really like Sound of Metal, but I don't think it's going to win. So Nomadland's my favorite film of 2020, and I can actively say I don't want it to win. I really want the father to win this. Like, so badly do I want the father to win this. Um, the thing about Nomadland is I like it. I think obviously looking at precursors, like clearly it's the best. It's the safest pick to predict. So I am predicting Nomadland. I think there are multiple other films that have a very good shot of upsetting Nomadland from the very start, from before even TIFF, I've been saying Nomadland is not an Academy friendly film. This is not the film they tend to go for. I think a lot of people are getting tired of the Nomadland narrative. And I think if something, if one film can produce a screenplay, an actor win, an editing win, maybe something overperforms, I think there's a chance the father wins this. I think there's a chance promising young woman does i think there's a chance judas and the black messiah maybe does i think there's a lot of options here um i mean obviously i'm going to be going not judas and black messiah excuse me trial of chicago 7 i meant um pretty much anything that's nominated for best film editing i could see genuinely winning this we've seen before screenplay and actor is a better combination than just director i mean look at 1917 and that how that boat fell apart um i am predicting nomadland but like a lot of people are writing this off. It's over. It's done. Close the book. I think there is a huge possibility this year. Also, voter turnout will probably be lesser, which means every vote matters that much more. I think there's a big chance. Or I don't know about big chance. I think there is a reasonable chance that Nomadland gets upset here, but I, I am predicting Nomadland. And I'll be happy if it wins. I just want the father over it. Uh, I do think if it is a Nomadland sweep, like a sweep, it could like kill televised Oscars. <laughs> um, like if nothing is interesting, if it kind of plays out them stretching it out to as long as they did and then not really having like a full ceremony. Um, they like in hindsight is 2020, obviously, but um, it's clear that they should have done this in February at this point. It's 
felt forever. Um, and if everything ends up just being like very clearly, like, you know, if by halfway through the night, we know Nomadland's winning best picture, if it gets editing, if it gets screenplay, um, you're going to see everyone turn it off. <laughs> like you are not going to see a single person watching this. And that's really worrying as a big fan of the uh, advertising or uh, not advertising, but as the Academy um, kind of stuff. And also their advertisers, actually. Um, I just think it's a thing that's a little upsetting. I've been doing, I don't know if you've heard, but I've been doing all the best picture winners. And it's interesting to look in the early years it was like you would win best picture and like one other thing and it'd be something weird. And then as it moved, it was like, oh, best picture just kind of wins everything. And I don't love that. And I hope we start breaking away from that because it's a little boring. Um, and also like the Oscars should pick the one that's the best. Uh, and I don't think we do that just to pick the thing that we liked the most. I also feel like just with how surprising last year was with all the parasite stuff that no matter what this year can't live up to that it, it this year just has like just a lot of bad elements going into it that I'm surprised I'm just not even looking forward to it I just want it to be done and you shouldn't feel that way with the Oscars the season has been genuine like not the most painful the Bohemian Rhapsody green book year was definitely more painful overall <laughs> but like it's so drawn out I don't like the most of these films. Like, I, I guess I like most of them. I don't love really any film here other than Know My Land and The Father. And so it's just, it's tiring. I want this to be over. Like, I just want to be done. And then it feels weird because we're already in what? Like, May. So not too long till we get can, And then we're right almost into TIFF. And then we're right back into it again. It's never ending this year specifically, which... <sighs> It's going to be, it's going to be exciting, I guess. Uh, I think that's wrapping it up for this week's episode of ClapperCast. Let's finish off how we always do. Let's go around the room. Let's give some recommendations. My recommendation this week is going to be The Umbrellas of Sherbrooke. I don't really know if I said it right. It's the 1964 film. Won the Palme d'Or, nominated for Best uh, Foreign Language Film at the time. The next year, it had a big Oscar run. Uh, this is a fun film, a really great film. It's about young romance, uh, kind of the tragedy of it, but also the love and passion and heart of it. Every single piece of dialogue is sung. That's not necessarily so like every scene is a musical where it has like a full on, you know, songs. Um, but every line is sung. The production quality is fantastic. Um, beautiful restoration on the Criterion channel, which is where I watched it. So I would definitely recommend this one. Uh, Lena, what's your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation is a movie, a Canadian film called The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open. I watched it earlier in the month. It reminds me so much of Never Rarely, Sometimes Always in like a sense that it's just like a woman having to deal with something so fucking horrendous and terrible. And it's just like really like quiet and inwards. It was really good. Um, it's co-directed by a girl named L. Maija Tailfeathers. I don't know if I said her little dash part correctly because there's a whole bunch of accents in it. Um, she's like Blackfoot and I think something else. So she's like an indigenous filmmaker and she also has like the lead role in this. Um, so like I watched it because I'm trying to watch like more Canadian and indigenous films and this really surprised me. So like the girl in it, she's native. Um, she's like a lawyer, I think. Again, I watched this three weeks ago, so I can't really remember. 
Um, but she's like, has a good job. She's like wealthy enough. And she comes across this girl who just left an abusive boyfriend and she's like pregnant. And so like the whole movie is basically her, um, the like richer native girl helping this like poor native girl and trying to get her to um, like seek help at like domestic violence shelters or whatever. And then like the victim doesn't want to do that because it's very hard for like victims. It's just, it's, oh my God, dude. My cat just fucking jumped into the closet and he did not make it. <laughs> I just <laughs> saw you say, oh shit. And then just the black mouse like fall. <laughs> He's laughing. He's done that before. I think he just like has no grasp of like how far away things actually are. And I'm just like, my guy, you can't grasp onto those things with your little cat, cat claws. It's a wood. Anyway, okay. So this movie, it reminds me, I think The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open would be a really good double feature with Ever, at least sometimes, always. It's very sad, but it's an important movie. And it's great to um, support Indigenous filmmakers and women filmmakers as well. So I recommend it. Can I just say what a great, like, that film was one of the early ones in the Array Netflix deal where it came out on Netflix, at least in the U.S. I don't know, worldwide for sure. But Array put that on Netflix and Array has continued to do a wonderful job, like, Every time I get the chance to shout them out, I do, but like, I love them. Uh, Paul, what's your recommendation this week? Um, I'm going to take a page out of last week's Alina and have two, but there's a reason for this. Um, The first one I'm going to recommend is this 73 minute horror movie you can watch on Shudder. And also I think you can rent on YouTube uh, called Game of Death. Um, And the reason I'm doing two is because I wouldn't recommend this to everyone. Um, it is very sexual, it is very violent, and it is mean. It is mean, but um, it's really unique, and um, it's the first horror movie in a while. My friends and I do this thing called Terrible Movie Tuesdays, where we watch, like, a bad movie, um, you know, and just, like, it's usually horror, and we kind of just, like, shit on it the whole time. This one, we all had to, at different times, pause and walk out of the room, because it was so stressful. Um, it is completely packed with, um, you know, just pure terror. And I think it's a really fun time. Um, but, uh, you know, that's not for everyone. So what is for everyone is duck soup, which is now on a criterion. Um, it's a Marx brothers movie. A lot of people haven't watched it. Uh, Marx brothers kind of has disappeared off like everyone's radar unfortunately, because they're fantastic. Any of them are great, but specifically Duck Soup's a great one to go into. Also think it's an hour. Like I am listing movies that are basically TV shows at this point. Um, But yeah, it's a great time. Um, It's really great humor. And it has uh, the sequence called the mirror uh, sequence, which you have seen before, but it's like been parodied somewhere, like a hundred percent. And it's just really great. And I'm glad that Criterion has all their movies because, you know, I like when good movies are on Criterion versus random shit I've never heard of. An hour 10 back when like the good old days, some, some filmmakers need to like think about that and like bring it back. Cause I don't, I don't think every film needs to be two Game hours of long. Dad, 73 minutes. Boom. There it is. <laughs> They're doing it. Uh, yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Clappercast. Where can we find everyone on social media? Alina, where can people find you? I'm at Alina Falls on Twitter and Letterboxd. I've been spending a lot of time on Letterboxd recently. So you're welcome. Paul? 
at price like tag on letterboxd and twitter um subscribe to my letterboxd i do a lot of work there <laughs> don't subscribe to my twitter i never write anything i just send other people's tweets to my friends <laughs> my favorite thing about paul's letterbox reviews is how he always includes a discussion question i think it's really cute so you should follow paul he does and answer a lot the, of his reviews and answer the discussion questions they're good questions mm-hmm. uh, most of the time they're jokes but um the reason i did that actually this is not important but the reason i did that was because people would just write like good review and i was like okay but i want to know like so i'd go look at their review but i was like i'd like to like talk and when people respond it like starts a conversation and that's nice um feels it makes me happy inside well you can find me on twitter at bp underscore movie reviews letterbox just carson tamar uh you can find clapper we're on youtube we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on letterbox we're at www.clapperltd.co.uk you can write into the show if you want at clappercast at gmail.com uh, and I, I don't know. I think that's about it. We'll see you guys next week right here. To discuss all things cinema. Peace. <laughs>